Welcome to the first episode of the first series of the Clean Cult Podcast. I'm Fabriana Firdaus. We all heard terrible news out of Myanmar with the military overthrow of the elected parliament. We want to express our solidarity and support to everyone from our network in Myanmar and to all the people of that country who stand for democracy and for human rights and the rights of workers. We are also sending our solidarity to my co-host Manny Maung. She's completely busy now in the response to the military coup. We will have more to say about Myanmar at the end of the show. We know that under COVID, brands have cancelled order and refused to pay for complete work. Many suppliers have cut wages and fired workers. Workers have often also been excluded from social safety nets and other support. In Romania, one worker, Angelica Manoli, protested against her witch card. Laura Stefanuts is a former investigative journalist there who got involved in the campaign. She tells the story. Angelica is a brave worker who spoke about the fact that she was only paid about 140 euros for one month's work. Uh, each day she worked at least eight hours a day and she was paid like about half the, the minimum legal wage in Romania. So she spoke about this uh, on Facebook. She was, I think, I believe she was the, the first um, garment worker that was so outspoken and uh, so open to speaking to journalists and uh, and to, to, to Facebook friends. And that's how we found out. Um, the company Tanex, where Angelica was working, uh, they're among the biggest uh, garment factories in uh, in Romania. Uh, certainly, they're a famous factory. Uh, they were actually in the past. They were uh, trying to attract workers by saying that they pay more than other factories because, as you probably know, in Romania, workers are paid only the minimum wage. They work extra hours, many times unpaid. Uh, the living the the living wage is way above the the legal minimum wage here. So we're talking about uh, people who work but stay poor. Uh, the factory, what they did uh, when the inspection went there, they said that she didn't work actually. Um, so basically, uh, they they lied. Uh, they said she didn't come to work. But then, you know, it was a public scandal. I mean, I, I helped her write some um, complaints to the Ministry of Labor, to the work inspection. I also myself wrote complaints. Uh, I also contacted the Labor Ministry in, uh, in Romania directly by phone. And I was promised that things would be resolved. And uh, somehow they were. I mean, there was another inspection which found that the first inspection was wrong and actually the factory did not register any absence of the worker she was obviously there so they find the the factory they they find them for for not properly registering like uh, people being away and also for not paying the legal minimum wage there were two fines for angelica unfortunately the experience was pretty rough because it's not easy for a worker to to speak about the abuses they go through without repercussions so angelica was fired by tanex 
So even having all the national media's uh, attention on you, even having uh, strong figures who are taking your side, like the, the minister itself, uh, she was still fired by the factory. Why? The factory wrote that she was fired because she spoke to, to, to the media. Și eu mai salut pe Angela Manole. Bună seara. Doamna Angela. I decided to, to generate a fundraising for Angelica so we can cover the costs for her during a trial which lasted at least six months and have her paid the her, her minimum salary what she had at the factory and it was amazing in in less than two days all the money were raised and there was a huge support for angelica from the public you know and they were like cheering her and actually so much money was raised that we were able to help three persons who were um, Uh, laid off from the factory. I think this was utterly important because the factories try to, to show that if you don't do exactly what the factory wants you to do, then you are, it's game over for you. And it usually is, you know, so it's so important to show that the community can support you in such cases. It's, it's utterly important. And I proposed this uh, urgent appeal uh, to the Clean Clothes campaign on, on Angelica's case uh, because I thought it, it made all the sense. She was very involved. She was very active. We knew the brands. We had a lot of data on the factory. They contacted the brands that were uh, headquartered in those specific countries. First, it didn't seem to go well because the brands were reluctant. Uh, they were saying, oh, you're not right. The factory says everything is okay. Look, so uh, the CCC actually provided proof of these fines um, and proof that the factory was actually li lying to the, to the brands. Um, and, and they finally, you know, they were convinced. All the workers were paid. This was indeed a victory. Even those who were fired, they were finally given the money, all the money they were owned. Uh, but this was just a case where everybody got involved, you know. There are like uh, over 120,000 workers in this industry, like legally registered. So in order to make things work like for a, a bigger length of time, you have to have the people inside who know their rights, who, who are organized in one way or another. There was a trade union, uh, Unicomf, which was pretty active, meaning that they, they heard about the case, they went there, they tried to get inside the factory, they, they were not allowed. So then they pushed together with the help of the brands And they were allowed inside the factory. They could talk to workers. But up to this point, they couldn't uh, form a trade union. So they said, okay, guys, we did what we could. We went there. We presented the case. If the workers didn't uh, get subscribed, then, you know, we cannot waste much resources because we don't have so much resources, which I can understand. But at the same time, we know that community organizing or forming a, um, a trade union somewhere, it takes a lot of time and patience and uh, some resources. 
they were helpful, but uh, unfortunately, a trade union was not formed there. Things would not have been solved for the workers there. They would have not received their salaries if there was not an, an international involvement and push. If you are not bulletproof when you go to war, then they like they destroy you because they are the way they are lying. Um, it's so you know natural. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked to see it, and and yeah, it, it's good to have the proof there. And to have as many witnesses as you can and as many documents as you can. So when you go, you just punch them and it's knockout. <laughs> That's Laura Stefanuts from Romania. Angelica Manoli was offered her old job back before the court case, but she refused it. She's now found another job in her community. COVID has hit garment workers hard in factories across the world, but the impacts are far from uniform. A critical factor is the political space that trade unions and worker organizations can claim. This frames what many unions can do, including how they can sustain their membership and strength. Our producer Matthew Abut looks at the experiences of two South Asia countries, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. In Sri Lanka, a sudden lockdown in March left thousands of garment workers stranded in free trade zones, far from home villages and community networks of support. The Free Trade Zone and General Services Employees Union organised food rations and also petitioned the government to help workers get back home. In April, the lockdown eased. Anton Marcus is the union's joint secretary. And then the government gradually reopened the factories. At that time, uh, we proposed the government to set up a tripartite task force for deal to deal with the labor matters because we told the government that this is the time we have to come together because even the employers or the government or the trade union cannot face these challenges alone. The government had to move on the task force for several reasons. Because uh, it uh, very seriously impacted on the export sector. And uh, so our union is the, the majority uh, union who represent the export sector employees. The other was at that time the government was preparing an election, general election. So politically they were very nervous that if there is any campaign, any protest, it will impact on their election results. So that is why the government had to uh, appoint uh, this uh, uh, task force. Social distancing requirements meant factories couldn't restart with a full workforce. So when the government introduced this restriction, only 50% will be employed, then the employers took up the position that they are not in a position to pay the wages for the workers who are not reporting for work. At the beginning, they said there are about 500,000 employees in the apparel sector. They want to dismiss 300,000. So we said no way because workers have to Workers have to uh, manage with their own. After we got the assurance that no one will be dismissed, 
and then we said okay we we, we have we agreed to uh, uh, introduce a rotational system as well as defending jobs through the tripartite task force anton marcus's union also negotiated financial support the eventual agreement meant that workers would not receive less than 75% of their previous wage even if they were not working in bangladesh meanwhile a recent report says over 350,000 garment workers lost their jobs during the pandemic as in sri lanka and other countries unions mobilized to get food to workers the national government told manufacturers to not fire workers but in many cases this wasn't followed Kalpona Akta is executive director of the Labour Rights Advocacy Organisation Bangladesh Centre for Workers Solidarity. She says order cancellations by brands and factory closures brought fear and repression. You know the worker situation was more dire when manage- factory management started handpicking them and firing. Like pregnant workers was targeted like they were like handpicking these leaders and firing them. Uh many cases uh I mean most of cases they didn't get the severances even and one case I should uh, mention that the retaliation when that end that the factory kidnapped one of the uh, union uh, office bearer and middle of the night and we had to jump on and we had to start fighting and keep calling all the police and every security intelligence we can to make sure that the guy uh, you know not uh take away and he's not ship, shipping to anywhere and you know we have been succeeded because we respond very rapidly on that but the factory keep doing retaliation to this fact you know workers as well and lately our federation also facing that so we you know but you know in general this is like the you know what kind of uh freedom of association violations that our workers have been facing they were going in a both way some of them was really afraid that they don't want it to raise voice because they will be losing their jobs during the time and which they cannot afford and some of them you know some of them really really said no we had to fight back yet along with the hardship unions in both sri lanka and bangladesh have been able to build on their many responses to boost membership for anton's union this started by making sure workers were aware of how their rights had been defended This defense included stopping employer efforts to cut overtime payments and to reduce labor law protections. Because of our intervention in the tripartite task force, we got these kind of a protective measures and then we published because workers don't know, workers don't know about these things and the employers also hiding. So we published in the newspaper this the basic thing of the task force measures and decisions and then we distributed the leaflets to raise the awareness among the workers about their rights under the pandemic and as a result of our intervention some of the factory workers contacted us and they organized unions now we got more than 2000 new members so we supported them and as a result they become members of our union kalpona says while union membership initially dropped unrelenting effort turned that around in mid 2020 this includes her own organization which as a grassroots operation has tens of thousands of solidarity members that was you know that was very difficult even to believe that we'll be having 
our membership increased during this pandemic. Uh, we thought it will be decreasing. Like last first few a few months, we have seen that it is decreasing enormously because then were so much fear. Uh, just they were focusing just to save their jobs, so they have money and they can feed themselves. At least they can live, uh, you know, alive. Uh, I think we have been done our organizing, you know, um, good in uh, June, July, August, June, July during those two, two, three months. And from end of the August, it has been, you know, turning around and workers started coming to our center in person. And we had to open the center for them as well. So we took our life risk because they're taking risk as well. So uh, it is it is being turned back. And now I think that workers are more uh, strong enough uh, to do organizing, though they know that there, there might be so many consequences. Uh, they know that they need to fight. And um, we need to track down where our workers or members goes after losing their jobs from RMG sector and keep them organizing in other sectors as well if they join with new sector. So the technique is, you know, keep organizing, organizing, and organizing. And that only can make sure that you have members, your members are increasing. Kalpona thinks the emphasis of some labor organizing may need to shift. The COVID is not going like overnight or over a year. It's a long-run thing that we have in, in, in our planet now. And we have to cope with it because many of our countries would not get vaccine and we cannot be free bird uh, soon. So, uh, you know, if it is goes long, then there is would be consequences with the business. And if there is a consequences with business, that will be directly affect to the workers. So uh, in one way that we feel we have more responsibility to work with government manufacturers and brands uh, in order to make sure that our workers has unemployment insurance, has social security. So those are the areas we'll be focusing or working on more these days, along with when we are, you know, strengthening our capacity to have more member, more union. Anton also sees several future challenges. Employers are very much getting, come together with the government. And we know that gradually the uh, army presence is getting increased in Sri Lanka. All the things are now undertaken by army. So we see that there is a challenge. We are independent. They know that we can do things, lot of things. And at the same time, they know that we are strong in international support. And maybe there will be a kind of a repression on us. So we have to be ready to face these challenges. This is a good opportunity for workers to understand how important is the global solidarity because this is the global challenge. We cannot find solutions nationally. So therefore, we use this opportunity to educate the workers how important the global solidarity. And at the same time, we strengthen our links with the global friends and our allies and we want to see ensure that the global unions and the other campaign organizations who are supporting for the employees has to come together anton marcus ending that report from me to abut
In Turkey, the challenges to supporting workers impacted by COVID has a different context. After the attempted coup d'etat in 2016, the government cracked down on civil society. They arrested thousands of people and shut down many non-government organizations. The coup impact on trade unions and other workers' support organizations remains profound. Bego Demir is with clean clothes campaigns in Turkey. The formulation of union also is changed. Like some union, they are very close to government. Like they organize factories. When you check their number, it's rising. But the workers, the union who actually support the workers' right, it's which is like, you know, they work independently. When you check their number, it's going down. And like clearly you understand from that picture, like there is a pressure, a, like an effort from the government behind it. The structure of Turkey's garment sector also has a big influence. The supply chain is big and it's it's differently formulated than other countries. You can see a lot of tier three, tier four factories with just a few workers. Those small factories that are unregistered, the worker work that are unregistered. So unregistered workers, they don't have any right. Bego says this means that during the short lockdown in March, workers relied on family and community networks to survive. Unions only had a minor role. Garment production soon started up again. Unlike elsewhere, brands didn't cancel orders. This is likely because Turkey is very close to European consumer markets. As an economically crucial industry, factory workers also didn't have to follow lateral lockdowns. But they travel and work in a corroded condition where social distancing was impossible. That meant a different campaign tactics were needed. At the first, when Clean Clothes campaign started a campaign and pay up campaign, pay our workers campaign. So we joined that campaign, but we saw the campaign is not covering uh, all textile needs. So we started a campaign here as COVID to be recognized an occupational disease because legally when a worker have occupational disease doesn't matter if it's registered or unregistered uh, government have to give their rights because like 121 country accepted like recognized COVID as an occupational disease for health sector so we say not just for health sector for all workers we get support for the campaign from all doctors for like from health sector as well uh, so we hope they will accept it but it is a big challenge because it will be new let's see the result without this measure unregistered workers cannot get official support if they become sick with COVID. unregistered workers also cannot legally join unions over the longer terms, protecting any of their rights, including health or wages or freedom of associations, means this has to change. We uh, reorganized our feature structure. Uh, like we were mostly focused on living wage, on the workers' right. But one of our 
main campaign in future will be uh, a way to registered worker. Now we also spoke with some other partner in Turkey, some other NGOs, and they all realize that's a big problem. Uh, so in the future, somehow we need to push the government to make it work. Uh, I think like the, the reason government is not very strong to re- to make all workers being registered, um, they want to attract people, attract brand especially. So they want to be in a competition with China. We want to change that. We want to convince them um, that cannot be Uh, a benefit for country. That's Bego Demir from Clean Clothes in Turkey. We have looked at several different examples of building trade unions and worker organizations and defending rights in the time of COVID. This included Anton telling how they gained direct input into government decision through the tripartite tax force in Sri Lanka. They built union membership by defending worker rights. And Kalpona explaining how they have maintained worker organization in the face of repression in Bangladesh. Laura told how the community mobilized for the rights of garment worker Angelica Manoli in Romania. This was a limited victory, but no union established in the factory. In Turkey, Bego just explained how the sheer scale of unregistered work means tackling that has to happen first to defend many worker rights there. We asked Christy Midema, I'm Christy Miedema. I work at the International Office of Clean Clothes Campaign. And Mandy Felicia. Yeah, I am Mandy Felicia from Isler, Philippines. For their ideas on how COVID impacted worker organizing. During this COVID, uh, what stands out is really the, the collective effort of all the workers to try to sustain workers organization we only do organizing in community and boarding houses of the workers but during the pandemic uh, we it also prevented us from doing that no so what stands out really is the creative form on how the workers try to get in touch with each other uh, using the new technology and also the old technology of passing letters no? uh, to each other to Uh, give uh, news to each other that uh, and to keep you know the organizations alive no? by uh, maintaining uh, contacts. What stands out to me is that um, COVID-19 has really created um, a threat of um, rolling back gains that were made in the past, rolling back workers' rights. Um, rolling back certain gains also made maybe in the field of birth suit practices of brands becoming a bit more um, aware of how their choices influence their supply chains. We see them turning their backs on their supply chains despite all those years of um, convincing brands that they are responsible for their supply chain. The pandemic also exposes the rottenness of the system, I mean the capitalist system and how profit is given more importance than the lives of the people. 
sad to say, the system even took advantage of the crisis to exploit more and take away even the gains of the workers' movement. The pandemic has taught us to rely more on ourselves and pinpoint the real importance of organization and the need to belong to one. Well, there has been a lot of consciousness not only on the level of solidarity among the workers but also of international solidarity. Uh, workers now see uh, and understand more uh, the, the global uh, supply chain. No? They now look at uh, how pandemic affected uh, the workflow, the orders, the you know uh, the movement of uh, movement of their products, and have become very very uh, uh, conscious of that. No? I think a lot of the challenges that we will continue to see are the ones that we did already. Um, it's the fact that wages are not being paid, their workers are being dismissed without receiving their um, their full severance pay, and a continued rollback of rights. We don't only have a problem with the pandemic, uh, but also government using pandemic as an excuse to further repress and stop the people from being organized to challenge government policies. Last year, in December 10, many unionists were arrested simultaneously and a lot of unionists and labor rights defenders are now being accused of being rebels and are being uh, uh, put into jail using trump-up charges. And so, uh, we view with concern what is happening in Myanmar because we might have the same you might have the same situation here. No? And I think also the good thing is we have already learned from this, right? It's, it took us all by surprise um, in March, in April, but we have learned to stand together and to, to face these challenges. So I think uh, while the challenges might be similar uh, or there might be new things coming towards us, we are stronger now. We have made up our minds and we know that we can stand together. There is a need to continuously assess, no? not also not only our situation but also our methods of organizing and education, which is of paramount importance. But probably form is only secondary to the need of always working and being with the workers in their communities and workplaces, if possible. We hope to find ways to better uh, for better security and health measures because I think. The pandemic should not stop us from going to the workers. And that is the only thing that is constant for us. The need to organize ourselves, to assert our rights, and to uh, together shape a better normal post-pandemic. That's Mandy Felicia. And that's the end of our show. Please send your ideas, feedback, and questions. Email us at this address, podcast at cleanclothes.org. You can also see the email address on the podcast webpage. Matthew Abud produced this episode with Anna Decker and the Clean Clothes podcast team, Liz Parker, Tane De Hui, and Johnson Chin Yin I'm Fabriana Firdaus. See you for the next episode. Before we go, 
a message from the clean clothes campaigns about the situation in Myanmar. This is Mimi Cowell, coordinator of Clean Clothes Campaign Southeast Asia Coalition. This is our message to the workers in Myanmar. We, the Global Clean Clothes Campaign Network, stand in solidarity with you. We condemn the military coup in Myanmar and strongly urge all political leaders and military officials to respect the 2020 election results and restore the democratic process. All detained political leaders and activists should be released and no further arrests made. We will continue to closely follow the situation in your country and we are ready to support as much as we can.